Hi there, I'm Nadine Richardson, your host and creator of the scientifically verified childbirth education program, SheBirths. Our vision is to make birth better for every family around the world. And our SheBirths show is a place that will inspire your birth, evolve your parenting and help you live a life you love. Today's podcast is brought to you by Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes made of 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. You can receive a 20% discount on your first order using the code SHEBIRTHS20. Just go to shop.waterwipes.com.au and enter the code SHEBIRTHS20 to get your discount today. If you are a parent, about to be one, or a fellow health professional, join us now for an inspirational deep dive into topics with experts around the globe. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 5 of the SheBirths Show podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in to our first collection of interviews, for leaving us ratings and sharing with your friends. It really helps to share the love and get the word out there that it is possible to have beautiful birth experiences with the right preparation. Today is called From Orgasms to Advocacy, a fabulous way to finish our first season. Join me as I talk with fellow birth educator, doula and extraordinary filmmaker, Deborah Pascali Bonaro. And if you've done SheBirths and you know that her documentary is one of my absolute favourites, I recommend everybody watches it because it's such a great education about how to have a better birth experience. Deborah is the director of her award-winning documentary, Orgasmic Birth, The Best Kept Secret, and co-author of the accompanying book, she is an international speaker and chair of the International Mother Baby Childbirth Organization. And that word mother baby is actually one because mum and baby should never be separated. She is co-chair for the International Childbirth Initiative, ICI, which you'll hear us talk about throughout the interview. Deborah has spent over 30 years teaching families, doulas and providers in over 40 countries all about bringing comfort, love and pleasure to birth and life. Today we talk about her birthing, creative projects as well as her advocacy work, the power of birthing with more pleasure, the importance of inviting pleasure into your pregnancy as well as your birth and the 12 steps to a safe and respectful mother-baby family maternity care that was created by ICI and will help every woman around the world have a better birth experience and perhaps ensure that you too, through listening, get the best care that you deserve from the provider that you're with and the system that you are with too. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. See you on the other side. Deborah Pascali Bonaro, it is so exciting to have you here on the SheBirths show. I fell in love with you by your film. I didn't know who you were, but I was like, who is that woman who made that film, Orgasmic Birth? I have to meet her. And then I got to come to your workshop this year. 
and you just have this kind of radiating pleasure. Yeah, this oozing kind of lovey, juicy vibe about you. And I could see why you made a film called Orgasmic Birth. And, you know, yeah. how are you today? Thank you, Nadine. It's <laughs> such a pleasure to be here with you because I so enjoyed meeting you, both getting time to kind of take a walk together, but also having you at the workshop and just learning all that you're doing at SheBirth. So truly a pleasure to start sharing and bringing more pleasure to all. Yeah, that's right. So tell me a little bit. I know we recommend all our families, all my yoga students, all my SheBirth families, the first thing they have to do is uh, watch Orgasmic Birth. I sometimes do say to them, don't be put off by the name. Don't be confident. I'll explain it all in the course. You'll understand the hormonal orchestration. And it might seem a little bit confronting right now, but just watch this film because I come from a documentary film background and I think it's the most eloquent film we have about birth uh, in the world today. So well done you. I know it's oh, not an easy thing to honor. make a documentary. <laughs> yeah. um, tell me, how did you come up with the idea, the name? Like, how did you make the film? Tell us all about it. Oh, it was, and thank you for asking. It was truly magical in that I literally was sound asleep because I don't come from a film background. I never thought about making a film. And I literally had a dream. I truly woke up at two in the morning was so passionate because I saw myself making this film that I woke my husband up and said, Jimmy, I have to make a film. And he kind of laughed and said, go back to sleep and have another dream. Um, and really, he didn't expect that when I would wake in the morning, I just really knew I needed to make this film. And so I always know that you're one degree of separation from the people that know how to do it. I didn't have to learn all the details. I knew that I just needed to find the team. And I really started setting my intention. I think that's so important, whether it's for a birth or for projects, whatever we're creating with creative energy, to really kind of set that intention and hold it and know that we can do it. And little by little, the right people appeared. Everybody, I needed an incredible um, editing team and production team. And before you knew it, people started calling me and were interested in having their birth filmed. So people really got that the personal is political and they understood that by allowing cameras into their most intimate moments, they would be able to help share and educate others, not to have the same experience necessarily, but to know your options so that every person could choose where and when and how they wanted to give birth. But I will tell you the funniest part, and I love that you went on about our name and how it can be a little bit putting off or, you know, challenging or, or maybe enticing for some. It can go all ways, but that was not in my dream. My dream, I kind of had the working title, An Ordinary Miracle, and we went through quite a bit of production with the title, An Ordinary Miracle, but was 
what was interesting is kind of my day job is teaching and training doulas, but also doing a lot of public speaking. And I had spent a day really talking about the sexuality of birth, pleasure in both birth and life, and use the terminology orgasmic birth as a broad term to frame not only those that have birthgasms or orgasms, but also for people that give birth in their own power, in their own way, that find pleasure, even if they have a moment of challenge, they choose the three to five minutes between surges to kiss, to touch, to dance, to laugh, to smile, to eat, to drink. There's so many ways we can ride waves and bring so many emotions of joy and love and ecstasy. So at the end of teaching this day workshop, it was just a beautiful, I like to say there's no coincidences in life, but incidences, we are blessed. I had an ability to go to a filmmaker event in New York with the heads of major networks like HBO, Showtime, all the big networks were hosting this event where we had to apply. Only a few people, a small percentage got in. And I like to say I had this golden ticket to go in and be able to pitch my film idea and get criticism and, you know, just good critique of ideas and things and potentially maybe even get a contract with the network. So as I was leaving my day about orgasmic birth, one of the participants said to me, what else are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm, you know, making a film and I have to run right now because I have to go and I'm so nervous. I've never pitched a film before and I feel really nervous like I need a doula. And she said to me, I'm a film student and I'd love to be your film doula. No Can way. I help you? Seriously. I was like, you're a film student and you'll be my film doula and come and hold my hand? <laughs> And she said, yes. And literally, you know, New York moment, she jumped in the cab with me because I had to run and came to the event. And now she's really kind of doulaing me, you know, like breathe and relax. And I'm all nervous because there's about 300 of us in this quite a big room. And they've told us we're each only going to have like five to 10 minutes and we don't even get to come down to the microphone. Wherever we're sitting in this kind of fishbowl auditorium, they hand us a microphone and you have these five to 10 minutes to pitch your idea. So many other people go before me and they're doing documentaries about war and civil unrest and famine and, you know, all these other issues around life and no one's talking birth. So I'm getting nervous that I even have a birth film, right? Like, how are they going to receive it? But they hand me the microphone. I stand up and... They say, say your name and your film name. So I say, an ordinary miracle. And the head of HBO looks right at me and says, you can sit down. You're obviously a new filmmaker. You don't even know how to name your film. And oh my I was God. horrified. Like, I'm already like halfway in production. This is like my moment that I was visioning was going to be like so magnificent. And I'm like... Oh my goodness. And I start to like go to sit down and then I think, ah, oh, my second working title was ecstatic birth. 
So I yell out ecstatic birth and he looks back at me and he says, sit down. You obviously don't know how to name a film and to really bring a concept out. So as I'm starting to sink back into my chair, holding in kind of tears that just wanted to burst out, but I'm trying to hold them, my film doula, Britt, bless her, she pushes me back up and says, yell out orgasmic birth, because she had heard me talk about it all day. And I'm like, no. And she yeah. said, what do you have to lose? So... I yell out orgasmic birth and now the whole auditorium is laughing at me because I'm like the person that won't take no, right? I just keep <laughs> yelling out names and the head of HBO says, oh, how is that possible? And gave me 10 full minutes to talk about the sexuality of birth, that birth is whole, physical, emotional, spiritual, and sexual. And by the time my time was up, he said, you make that film and it'll go around the world, which it has and back. And it really was a magic moment because when I came out of that room, one, I thanked Brit endlessly for being my film doula and helping me to have the courage isn't that what a doula does is give you the courage to be brave and bold and speak out um things that sometimes we think oh we can't say that or do that or be that and when I called Jimmy after I got out and I said, he said, how did it go? And I said, well, I have a new title for my film. And he said, what is it? And I said, orgasmic birth. And he said, are you ready to be that bold? And I said, you know, I am because the definition of insanity is to do the same thing and expect different results. And I've really learned that we keep safe. And we stay in the comfort zone of our broken maternity care system. We get broken maternity care. And it is time to use a language that challenges us, whether you love it or hate it, wherever you move with it. I really feel every person should create their own definition of orgasmic birth so it feels safe to them. And we need to change. So thank you for letting me share a bit um. of this of how the film came into being. Um, you know, I just love that story. And it, it, it is a birthing, right? Like that just touches me so much. It's so moving. And I think it's the perfect kind of sort of uh, represents the intention setting, the support, the love and care of a doula. It represents so much of how we birth something new in life that sort of um, having a bit of hustle, doing a bit of work, being a bit bold, and like you say, if we want to create change, we, we have to sometimes say something that shocks people and wakes people up, turns the light on via your ideas, switches them into thinking because people are stuck in their own way of thinking, a conditioned way of thinking about birth. And yeah, your title, your film certainly educates um, people towards new possibilities so, yeah, thank you for making the film. I know they're not easy to make from Go to Woe. Lots and lots of hustle, I'm sure. Lots and lots of hustle. So <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I suppose um, the very first time I, you know, watched a few moments of the film with a, a doula couple I had and I, there was one woman in the film who had suffered sexual abuse and 
I watched this element with a couple and I said, you know, how grateful we are that she included her story in this film because it cannot be an easy thing at all to go public, go worldwide public with your story. And I said, but if she can do it, if she can go wide with the story and if she can uh, open and let go to the process of birth when it felt the most scary thing that she could possibly do, anybody can do it. So that's right. the one, yeah, that one woman, to me, I know everyone talks about um, Amber, your, the orgasmic birth in the spa tub in Hawaii, but to me she's the real hero and she really can shine that light for for all of us because we all are afraid of opening in our own way, right? Yes, and thank you. I always really honour that's Helen. And um, I have to say that, when I had the dream and when I really saw the film and oh, I always knew that in order to speak about the sexuality of birth, that it had to include a survivor's story. And I put that out and held that out. And so many survivors came to me and really with powerful stories, I was honored to listen, but none of them willing to go on camera. And we really came down. I mean, it's an amazing story because we were in like the last 48 hours of production where we were running out of money. We had to close down the edit room. We had to finish the film. And I still didn't have a survivor's story. And I was teaching a doula workshop and my editor, Chris, who's fabulous, just called me at lunchtime and said, you know, every single aspect of the film as you visioned it has come together. But I must just say that although you've held the vision for all this time, I don't think that this film will have a survivor's story and you're going to have to get over it because we need to like take that vision out so we can close the film. And I literally sat outside in a parking lot and sobbed for an hour because I couldn't do it. And yet I was like in a rock in a hard place. I had no more money, no more time. I didn't have a survivor story that was willing to go on film and I sobbed. And then like every teacher does, you wipe your tears and go back in. And I knew I had to finish my doula training that afternoon so I pulled it together and it was a great group of women and finished the workshop. And at the end of that, the doula said to me that day, which a lot of times people never ask. So it was again, another blessed incidence. They said, what else are you working on? And I said, oh, don't ask me today. I could feel the tears were just like right under the surface. And they saw me get emotional and they said, no, you've been here for us for these days. We're here for you. What's going on? And so I shared that, you know, how devastated I was. And Helen was in that group. Helen looked right at me and said, it's me. And I said, excuse me. And she said, I've been praying for an opportunity to share my story, to empower others, to reclaim their body and to understand what's available in birth, especially to survivors. And Helen fell into my arms. The two of us were in tears. The rest of the doula group made a big circle of hugs around us. And I said to Helen, I can't let you make this decision right now. I really need you to spend the evening really 
whether it's prayer or mindfulness, whatever people you need to check in with, family and friends, because I vision this film will go around the world and I really want to make sure you feel safe with that. And at eight o'clock the next morning, the phone rang and Helen said, bring the camera on. And her piece filmed just beautifully that morning. I was in the edit room by the afternoon in Soho, New York City, and her piece dropped in the film, just boom, hardly any editing, and we were just, the film closed. And I thought, wow, I'm so <laughs> glad I held that vision and never gave up on it. And I really thank you so much, Nadine, for acknowledging it because I feel it is so important. And Helen is so brave to have shared her story. Absolutely. And it's such a beautiful story yet again <laughs> of, of the magic of like creativity, intention, hustle, letting go, like so much is in that. I feel like you were just birthing continuously throughout the whole process of making that film, right? Definitely. It was one creative birth after another. There are so many stories embedded in the film, but Helen's happens to be one of my favorite because she just is so incredible to share. Um, and she's inspired yeah. so many people. I know I say to her when I talk with her every so often and we're all getting together in another month. So I will pass along that we've talked about her today yet again, but um, I let her know that she has touched more people than she'll ever know. Yeah. And she's loved and appreciated. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I suppose I want to circle back a little bit because you mentioned there, you know, whatever orgasmic birth means for you or for the couple, um, that definition, what do you mean by that? How do you understand that? Yeah, I, because I think that so many people are so limited when they hear the word orgasmic and birth put together. So many people go right to orgasm. And certainly I want to just be clear, I would never want a birthgasm to be a performance standard and anyone to add that to their birth preferences or plan um, and feel that if it didn't happen that they were any less than or there was any failure. So um, Elizabeth Davis and I define orgasmic birth in our book, Orgasmic Birth, Your Guide to a Safe, Satisfying, and Pleasurable Birth Experience, about being broad enough to include the people that a birthgasm may happen, but also broad enough to include that anyone that plans the birth in their way, that claims their power in birth because there is so much power and too often we give it away. You know, we don't prepare. Mm. Knowledge is power. Doing the education as you do so well at SheBirth so that people understand their options and are part of decision making. And I also believe orgasmic in some way it's often defined as heightened physical an emotional experience. And so if we take it out of the sexual, there are just so many ways that we can have heightened physical and emotional experience. And I even say like, for me, eating dark chocolates, orgasmic, dancing wildly is orgasmic. So I invite people to consider the broadest sense 
to look up orgasmic, to look at how other people use it, but most important to say, what does it mean to you to birth with pleasure, with love, with power, and how could you create that definition, I, I call that all orgasmic. So I think each person should say, if orgasmic birth is this broad sense, what are the elements that you want to bring to your orgasmic birth? Because I think an orgasmic birth is our birthright, and I think we can have pleasure and love and joy and happiness in birth wherever birth happens and however birth happens. Because there are many times the baby needs something else, and the greatest gift of motherhood is to give up our dreams to bring our baby safely earthside. That doesn't mean we still can't give birth with pleasure and love. So for me, orgasmic birth is broad, and I hope I'd love to hear what listeners um, mm. define. You know, what if in that sense that you could create what it means for you, mm. what would it mean to you? Yeah, I love that. I'd be really interested as well, actually. We'll start that conversation, I think, on social media when we share this podcast and people can leave reviews about it. Firstly, I think people have to stretch a little bit and think, okay, yeah, birth can be enjoyable. And it doesn't mean that we don't have intense discomfort or pain at some points, but it means, and it's certainly, I would agree, like birth is a heightened emotional and physical state. Absolutely, it is that. I mean, the hormones of birth are hundreds of times more powerful, the oxytocin and the endorphins, than our best ever sexual experience prior. So absolutely, if we open to it, there is a great degree of pleasure available. But I think I love the, the process that you did with us of looking back on your days, your weeks, your year, your life, and what is it for you as a person, as an individual that invites pleasure into your life? And could you bring those elements as well into birth? And then I think that's a great place to start, right? Oh, a really great place because we should all have at least three to five things we do every day that are pleasurable. Mm. I mean, otherwise, you know, even in the midst of challenge in life, you have to be able to de-stress and, and find pleasure. So it's a great exercise to look back. And I hope people have lists of 20 or 30 things, but even for this moment, you know, what are those three to five things right now that you could do in any day? And how many of them could you bring to birth? I mean, all my daily pleasures that I can do in short bits of time can come into a birth room. Yeah. And so important during your pregnancy to connect. Like I talk so much about slowing down, giving yourself space, giving the brain the space the body the space to rest, but the brain the space to process and prepare and get bored and take walks so that we go into this back brain sort of self-autobiographical analysis preparation for the coming changes. Um, the brain does this lovely thing, you know, when you're in boredom, it's very wise if we give it the space. But I think integrating pleasure into your pregnancy um, would be such a powerful way to prepare for birth. I think it's an essential way to prepare for birth. Yes, I of do. course. It is. I it really is. do. And, you know, we've kind of live in a time where we're always like, 
taking a pill for pain, right? If we were to have pain on just any day. But pleasure can be a way to help alleviate discomfort, whether it's physical or emotional, just in general life. And we can hold both. Like you even said before, I mean, we can still have a painful sensation or a challenging moment and still the next minute have some pleasure. And that's what's really available to us in birth that I feel so many people don't understand. They feel like it has to be one or the other. And birth is a riding of those waves and they can come, you know, together, they can be apart. And we also know that when we're in pleasure, um, we feel less pain. So it's a great comfort technique to have your pleasure kit yeah. really fall for birth. I love it. I think it's so important. And the energy of love in the room and mm. is so critical. And that seems to just by itself give access to creating more pleasure, of course, by... Um, the elimination of fear by people trusting birth, by loving people being present, then I definitely think it, it gives access to more pleasure and less pain for the woman. Definitely. And as people get comfortable with the concept of pleasure in just the many ways, then when we can also bring it into the broadest sense, including sexual pleasure, we really know that, I mean, I work with a lot of people that are kissing and touching and masturbating or using vibrators and, and they're saying they're not even feeling pain or discomfort. And I love that the newest guidelines that have come out now that are integrating um, non-pharmacological comfort measures actually include enhancing oxytocin and are listing masturbation in the toolkit for comfort on a scientific review. So it's not so out there anymore. It's, I was like, I read the article and went, yes, we're finally realizing that our sexuality has the ability to actually decrease pain and bring us comfort in labor. Yes, sexuality provides great comfort in labor, right? And yes. what is this? So where are you reading that there's a review of masturbation and this suggestion of non-pharmacological pain relief being a first line and option given to mums? Where is that coming from, Deborah? Yeah, there are two places. So one, the website childbirthconnection.org, and they are the site that also has the um, Dr. Sarah Buckley's report on the hormonal physiology of childbirth. So on their site, they include that review of the hormonal physiology and list all the ways to enhance oxytocin. And then the obstetricians and gynecologists of Canada. It's called the SOGC, the Society of Obstetricians Gynecologists of Canada, has recently put out a new systematic review, and it is now their guideline for non-pharmacological comfort, and it does include masturbation as a toolkit for enhancing oxytocin. And again, Dr. Sarah Buckley is one of the authors on that report. Amazing. That's so great. We're going to have all these um, connections and all these URLs in our show notes. So, I mean, can we get into the, can we get into the nitty gritty and just 
discuss what type of vibrators are people yeah. utilizing like small ones i'm guessing waterproof ones maybe like what do you find works best during birth yes and definitely small because uh i did have someone where i didn't clarify and they turned up at their birth with one of those big ones called like a rabbit and that kind of spins like like it all and i have to say it certainly was good though because it brought us a lot of humor in the error that we weren't going to be using anything to go inside we were talking about clitoral stimulation and um it ended up being a wonderful tool to set on top of the fetal monitor so when people came in to look at the fetal monitor they got incredibly distracted by the vibrator and many people left the room when she wanted privacy she would just turn the vibrator on and as this thing would go around people would leave the room so i have to laugh and say like you can bring bigger ones and they're definitely for the giggles but not for use but what we're talking about for use is often the finger vibrators or <laughs> small pocket vibrators. And I would suggest that they are waterproof. I think that's important because many people want to use shower and water. We call the getting in the tub like the aquadural. It's so good in providing comfort. And if you can be in water and then add vibration to it, even better and uh look down the future i'm actually talking with a company right now it's a women-owned group that has some fantastic um finger vibrators about packaging them as orgasmic birth vibrators so i'm hoping in the near future we may bring some to our website and product line but um definitely you can go and kind of do your own homework it's kind of fun to go during pregnancy or before um, vibrator exploring. If you've never used them, it's kind of a, a fun opportunity. And if you have, it's a way to really reevaluate them and what would work in labor. So good. I love it. I think it's fantastic. And everything is so much more awake down there and more engorged down there. And the blood flow, the, the lubrication, everything is as well. And I even believe that when we have a, a normal delivery that we actually create stronger connections between the brain and the vagina, the neural networks. And I believe it great creates the opportunity for even more sexual pleasure for the woman after birth. What, what do you think? I totally agree. And I mean, I hear from so many people that have worked through their pregnancy to either heal or enhance their sexuality and then have brought that to birth that they feel so changed and their connection to their partner is stronger, their, their just ability to explore sexuality and enjoy it more is really enhanced and augmented. And when you think about it too, I mean, just back to the actual experience of birth, we know that when a woman's vagina is happy and aroused, um, one of the a midwife that I love, Ibu Yeshi from Indonesia, always says, when your lips on your mouth are smiling, so is your lips by your vagina. And I love her expression on that. But when our vaginas are happy, they expand out 
two inches as well as lubricate. And when you think about birthing a baby, I mean, wouldn't you want the extra expansion, the body just naturally um, being willing to open and help that baby to ease into the world? And yet we also know our vaginas when we don't feel like now, when we don't feel safe, when we don't have the privacy, um, our vaginas shut down. And I think so much of our tearing and cutting and pulling and sucking babies out is our lack of understanding of what it takes for women to feel safe and to tap into that sacred intimacy and open, whether it's sexuality or the sexuality of birth. Um, I personally believe by sterilizing birth, which is what I call it, and stripping away the wholeness and especially the sexuality, we've actually made birth harder. And as we can learn um, to not be shamed by it, but to explore it and go deeper into it, there are just so many opportunities, not only for the moment of birth, but as you said so well, Nadine, for the opportunities after yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. We could keep talking about all of this juicy stuff um, and maybe we'll get to do it at another time. But I really want to talk to you about advocacy because I've named this podcast From Orgasms to Advocacy. Yay! And I thought that was a perfect name to kind of document, yeah, to document your journey. But to bring into awareness uh, the importance of your work that you're doing with lots of other people and that I'm also going to help with. It's impossible, I think, to be involved in birth and, and not get involved in politics, unfortunately, right? I agree. I mean, birth is such a personal issue, but it's political because we want everyone to have the opportunity to have safe and respectful births. And that's political. We have to change the system. And it is through advocacy that we really have that opportunity. I always like to say it's bringing, you know, those grass tops, the politicians and the institutions and the bureaucracy together with the grassroots, the people giving birth and the doulas and the educators, and we need all of them. And it takes, definitely takes advocacy to make that happen. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about ICI, the International Childbirth Initiative that you're a part of um, and you work very hard with at the moment. Tell us a little bit about it. Okay. I am so proud of the international uh, childbirth initiative, 12 Steps to Safe and Respectful Mother-Baby Family Maternity Care. And this new initiative is a combination of the initiative that I chair with an incredible group of colleagues called the International Mother-Baby Childbirth Initiative. We call it the IMBCI, um, as well as coming together with the obstetricians of the world, FIGO, the Federation Internationale of Obstetrician and Gynecologists. And our two organizations came together in a beautiful consensus model to look at the best evidence, to look at all the global initiatives around the world and to look at what we know was really needed to heal the maternity care system and get 
really good outcomes on every level, meaning that not only would mother babies and families survive and have healthy births, but they would thrive both emotionally and be empowered as we know that birth is a transformative moment. So it took us a lot of work and I am so proud that the initiative is finalized. It's being published in another month or two in the International Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And it has been, the 12 steps have been endorsed and we have partner organizations of the International Confederation of Midwives, the International um, Conference of Nurses, International Pediatricians. We have some of our sites, Robin Lim in Bali and Vicki Penwell, Mercy in Action. We have a site in India um, that's doing well, the Healthy, and I'm going to blank on the name, but like Healthy Mother Center, um, Every Mother Counts, which does national advocacy, the White Ribbon Alliance. Go on our website, internationalchildbirth.com, and you'll see the many organizations that have come together. And the reason I'm so passionate is that it takes a village. It really does. And to see all our international organizations coming together in agreement, in consensus, in making these 12 steps the path and acknowledging that some facilities are going to be nowhere, like they have to start on step one and others might be doing five or six steps. But we really honor that wherever you are, you can take one step at a time, no blame or shame. Let's all set the intention that we can and must do better. And these 12 steps really set a model and a template that anybody can follow from a birth center to a small maternity clinic to a large maternity hospital. We all can implement it. And in the sites that already are, the difference is incredible. So I hope, I'm so glad, Nadine, we're going to work together on it. But I hope people that are listening will really go to the website um, and really download the 12 steps and look at how do your desires for birth line up with those 12 steps and use this as a template to talk to your caregivers to make sure that their care follows these 12 steps. Absolutely. I think it's it's so interesting listening to this, uh, you know, women living in modern worlds, in the Western world. And when you look at the 12 steps, you're going to see the first couple, I think one, two, and three. And you think, well, that's not really relevant to me, but it makes you aware of how uh, those points are there because for a lot of women giving birth in the developing countries, they are critical, those first few points, right? Can you maybe just talk us through like the first sort of five steps? Because I think the next four and five really um, touch on what's important for us in the Western world, but those first three in particular quite, might feel a bit strange for people when they read it. Well, the first one should feel good to everybody in any part of the world because we're talking about having respect and informed decision-making and really knowing that you have the right to both informed consent, which would be to say yes to anything, as well as informed refusal. And I think wherever you are in the world, um, knowing that you can have that say is really important. So 
I would say that's like one for me. I want everyone to have wherever they go. Is that important? Yeah, it's just the Western women just assume. They just assume they have that, right? Well, that's a wrong assumption because I work a lot in the Western world and I think a lot of people don't realize how they are really pushed into decisions. They're not really given alternatives and a full range of options or really disclosed what are the risks and benefits of any given procedure, technique, or intervention. So I see a lot of people Mm -hmm. in the Western world not truly getting informed choice, informed decision-making. Yeah, that's right. And it's good that you bring attention to that. So what, what are the next ones? So step two is more something that happens in other countries that we often don't talk about, and that's provide free or affordable care with cost transparency. And so everyone should have access to affordable care throughout the continuum of childbirth. And, you know, I'm here in America. I mean, we certainly are not a low-resource country, and yet we still have people that many times don't have access to affordable care throughout the continuum of childbearing. So again, depending on the country, not everybody is getting access to the care they so deserve. So this is really important. And this includes um, prenatal education. This includes postpartum care. And at least in America, we don't have that free. You know, you either pay completely out of pocket for prenatal education. Very few people are getting access. More and more, we're starting to get it included, but not for everyone. And postpartum care is basically non-existent in my country. So something that needs to happen. So I love this step too, because it's looking at the continuum of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, and how we need to make that accessible in an affordable way. Step three is routinely provide mother, baby, family, maternity care and incorporate value and partnership-based, grounded in evidence-based practice, driven by health needs and expectations, as well as by health outcomes and cost effectiveness. So this is where we want to optimize the biopsychosocial process of childbirth. So we want to promote midwifery philosophy and scope of practice um, with a system that ensures multidiscipline collaboration. And we do acknowledge that in many parts of the world, there may not be enough midwives or any midwives, but we know that physicians, nurses, can still practice within a midwifery scope of practice, within a midwifery philosophy. So we want to ensure that this, what we're calling mother-baby-family care model, is available at all levels in any setting and is provided by someone skilled with the competencies of midwifery care. It's just so important for everyone to understand all of these wonderful steps. Isn't it wonderful? Because I often say that sometimes I work with physicians in my region where I say their MD stands for midwife in disguise. And I was so happy that we put this step in and honored that when birth 
is going well, when someone is healthy and, and birth is unfolding, then there's no reason that everyone around can't hold that midwifery philosophy. So I love that step three. And step four is another one I'm equally passionate about because it's offer continuous support. And it says to inform the mother of the benefits of continuous support during labor and birth and affirm her right to receive such supports from companions of her choice that include fathers, partners, family members, and doulas, or TBAs or others. And we go on to use the latest evidence that says continuous support during labor improves outcomes for women and newborns, including a more positive birthing experience, an increase in spontaneous vaginal birth, a shorter duration of labor, a decrease in the number of cesarean and instrument vaginal deliveries, and less need for allergesics, and a less likely to have a low five-minute APGAR score for babies. Such care appears to be most beneficial when given by a person who is present solely to provide support, is not a member of the woman's own network, and is experienced in providing labor support, and at least has a modest amount of training, such as a doula. So this step combines kind of the evidence in saying that we know doulas really make a difference when they are added to your team. So you still have your midwife, your nurse, your doctor, and you can bring still your companions of choice. But it is that trained doula that seems to have the most benefit on outcomes. And that's why they say it's actually better than someone from your own social support team, meaning your own sister or partner or whomever. So this is a groundbreaking step. It is being supported, as I said, by all the organizations and many other initiatives right now are also adding similar wording as we have such strong research on continuous support. Because it really highlights the fact that doula is the most evidence-based tool in the room, right? Based on Cochrane reviews. Definitely based on the Cochrane. And what's amazing is we do so many practices that have no evidence or their evidence is either it's ineffective or harmful and we still use them. But here we have solid evidence of support. And I'm always surprised that we're still not implementing doulas everywhere when we should. And so I'm really proud of our initiative to highlight their value. It's so amazing. It's just the best and let's do one more let's do that um the fifth one because i think that's also yeah. really important to bring into people's awareness tell us all about it yeah and step five another important one as you say provide pain relief measures and offer drug-free comfort and pain relief me measures as safe first options, explaining their benefits for facilitating normal birth, and we must educate both women and their companions about how to use them, including breathing, touch, holding, massage, relaxation techniques, laboring in water when available, and if pharmacological pain relief options are available and requested, we must also explain their benefits and risks. And all staff must be trained in comfort measures and pain relief options to respect women's preferences and informed choices to maximize their confidence and well-being. So we're really looking at saying that 
why there's a place, of course, when women request pharmacological relief, as Penny Simkin, my mentor, always says, no one should suffer. And if pain becomes suffering, epidurals can have a place. But I believe often, at least in America, and I think you're having the same issue in Australia, that we're not using a full range of what we would call frontline comfort measures that have no risk but many benefits. And if we utilize that front line and have all staff support them and trained in it and make sure that everyone knows them who's giving birth there, I think we'll see a huge reduction in using second line pharmacology, but we'll use it when appropriate. Not that it's, you know, bad, but we should use it appropriately. And I feel when we only have pharmacology, then we're violating our rights by not offering us a full range. So step five is ensuring that every person has the options available to them in the broadest range so they can find their comfort and I would add pleasure for birth. Absolutely. And I agree. And that sort of, I think that's why the She Birth Study was so successful because we give such a broad range of tools and um, pain relief options to our couples. They start layering them and they feel so empowered by them as well. It's not just about the pain relief on the day. You feel so prepared. But yeah, I've certainly noticed that, of course, uh, the cultures in the hospital have to marry up and the skills of providers are certainly helpful. Um, if a couple is struggling or they need a bit more support, that's where the doula has to come in and, and help them as well. Um, so, yeah, we get better results when providers and systems and parents are all educated and hopefully that's something we can do another podcast on another time, right, on how we're going to do something like that. I'd love to. And, and I do think this, the EC, as we say it here, the init initials are ICI and in French, EC means here. I think this initiative is here and is just such a template for everyone to use, to really read it and take to heart and know that each one person can make a difference. So if you just have a conversation with your midwife or doctor about it and educate them about it and help them look at what are the steps that they do well? Let's start where we're good and, and give praise. And, and where can we improve? I always like to say that although our system is somewhat broken, it's not the fault of our caregivers. We have such wonderful doctors and midwives and nurses and doulas and anyone that works in maternity care like us. We do it out of passion and love for wanting the best for everyone. So when we can look at reframing the system and putting better practices in, then everyone can really shine. And it's going to take us all to make those changes together. So it's a very exciting time right now that each person can be a part of creating not only a healthier system for themselves, but I hope we're changing the legacy for our children's children. Um, we know better now. We did the best with what we knew when we set things up, but we now know we can do better. Absolutely. And that's just so perfectly said. I have nothing more to add <laughs> to that. <laughs> Such a great speaker. Thank you so much for being with us today on the She Births Show. It's just such a pleasure to be in your company 
And thank you for sharing your wisdom with us and all the wonderful work and hustle that you've done and you're doing. What would you say, just in finishing up, what would your final words be to uh, a pregnant family out there as they're getting ready to give birth? Oh, thank you, Nadine, for having me here. And to all that are listening, if you are pregnant, I would say one, really trust your wisdom. You've grown this baby. Your body knows how to give birth. And it is the outside fears and things that kind of clutter the process. So really look at all the things that don't serve you. Try to really clear your fears. and. Trust what your body's telling you. Get as much information as you can about all your options, SheBirth. That's why you're such a wonderful wealth of resources for people. And I would say we, I believe that we live the way we're born and we birth the way we live, which means if you can, get in touch with how you were born and look at how you live. What elements are missing. Are you finding pleasure daily? Was your birth pleasurable? And if not, it's a wonderful opportunity in pregnancy to look at that and make changes because the changes you make to bring more pleasure to every day and then bring that pleasure to birth will change your parenting, will have lifelong ripples into being able to move through any challenge with love and pleasure. Thank you so much. It's such a good reminder for all of us to hear those words. Um, I hear you've got a Bruce Springsteen concert to go to, so we're going to let you go. But I send you Thank so much you. love across the ocean. And hopefully, Deborah, we will speak to you soon again on the She Birth Show. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Nadine. And I'll be dancing in the dark and thinking of you. So lots of pleasure for me tonight. I hope lots of pleasure for you and truly an honor. Thank you for inviting me into your show. I'm Nadine Richardson, and you've been listening to the She Births Show podcast, proudly brought to you by Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes, made of 99.9% .9 water and a drop of fruit extract. If you have enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to our future conversations and leave us a review. And we'd love to know what you would like to hear more of. You can find me and my team of certified educators at SheBirths.com and become a part of our community on Instagram and Facebook. In the App Store, you can download our SheBirths app filled with lots of freebies and the full online SheBirths program. And remember, when it comes to having a better birth and easier transition into parenthood, education is empowerment. <laughs>